the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, yes it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. We are underway now at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the 13th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. It is Groom 13th, if you are uh, following with the story. And I hope you are. I uh, Every single day we see more shame brought to this country by this embracing of sexualization. Moreover, graphic, grotesque, perverted sexualization of our country uh, aimed at our children. Every single day in the month of Groom, something new rises up to just uh, humiliate us on the, on the world stage, for example. Did you see the headline? Now, you know, I know most of us have, have turned away from Fox News, particularly since they, uh, uh, you know, canned Tucker, and, and that fight, by the way, continues. Uh, they're trying to shut him down on Twitter now, too. But uh, foxnews.com, uh, the, you know, the webpage, y- you got to see the homepage. Massive headline, transgender activist goes topless at White House event, but she, and I'm not liking that reference, because it's a dude with a double breast insertion slash implant, but 
wasn't the only one to bear all. And the videos and still photos that are coming uh, from that event are all over online. The White House is is it it looks like uh, it's out of some sort of bizarre movie set. This is the people's house. And yes, the White House is the people's house just in the same way that the that the Capitol is the people's house. All right? It is our house and it has just been turned into an absolute laughingstock of flat rainbow flags replacing the American flag as the centerpiece. Joe Biden standing there with just a, what looks like a carnival sideshow. You remember, remember back in the day, you know, the carnival barkers, and they would just bring with them their uh, their traveling circus of freaks. I mean, they literally called them a freak show. This is what it was. People got to see the bearded lady, ooh, and they got to see you know. And then it was, of course, it was pretty grotesque. It would mock and make fun of people who were. Uh, you know, I guess today the proper term is little people. Then it might have been midgets or dwarfs or something. You know, then the super tall man. I mean, all the goofy, freaky things. It's a freak show at the White House. It's a freak show in this country for the entire month of groom. It is an absolute freak show with the most bizarre, deviant things that you have ever imagined. All not just being brought out into the open, which would be bad enough, but being celebrated by the President of the United States, by the government of the United States. It is just so unbelievably humiliating. And all I can do is picture all of these images being blasted across the television and computer screens of everyone in China, of everyone in Russia, of everyone that's allowed to have a screen in North Korea, uh, in any of the nations, Iran, uh, you know, that are hostile, aggressor, aggressive, and uh you know that are that are part of our um we'll just call them political adversaries in the in the world on the world stage looking at us and just absolutely shaking their heads about how extraordinarily weak we have become because weak and woke are synonymous it truly is um at any rate we're going to talk about this in a half an hour this is going to be my first conversation with a representative of Gays Against Groomers. I'm going to talk to a gentleman by the name of uh, Chris Barrett. He's a gay man who represents Gays Against Groomers. And I'm going to talk to him about their mission, because I support their mission. I'm not going to judge him on his sexual preference orientation. We've always said this, have we not? Those of us who are uh, believers in freedom, those of us who believe in, in in the flag that we're going to pledge our allegiance to in just a few minutes. Uh, if you're an adult, you want to go live your life and do your thing, do your thing. I'm not going to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do in terms of, you know, I, mean, I, I, I could pray for them that maybe they find a little bit of a different way, but that's not my, not my place to tell them what to do, and not yours or anybody else's. We've always said, if you're 18 and over, Technically, I think being a truly mature adult starts at around 25 when the brain uh, is fully formed. But if you're, you know, a, a legal adult and you want to go and participate in, in in those sorts of whatever whatever it is you you know you're uh, you're into, and it's other consenting adults, hey, do your thing. Do us a favor though. Don't force us to watch it. Don't do it on the lawn at the White House. 
Don't do it in parades down our city streets. Don't do it at ball games. Don't do it in stores. Don't rub our faces in whatever your own personal tastes and, and, and proclivities are. And, and, and don't bring our kids into it. You do that, we get along famously. This is exactly how it has been planned for a very, very long time. No, we're not talking about staying in the proverbial closet either. We're just talking about don't smash your bizarre, and yes, it is bizarre, particularly those who are trying to trans themselves and 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 es- expand upon that to the transing of America. Don't bring that bizarre stuff and put it all over the places where we go and, and keep our kids out of it. No drag shows for children because they're not family-friendly. They're adult-oriented, period. Don't do the drag shows for kids. Don't do the drag time story hour to try to make it make it normalized to four-year-olds that men can wear clothes like that and dress like women and call themselves weird, strange uh, names. No, don't try to normalize this bizarre, deviant behavior to our children, and we'll be fine. Well, guess what? Gays Against Groomers has the same policy. They know that their own quote-unquote part of the LGBTQ community, the L, the G, and the B, uh, is being harmed seriously by this massive, massive, overwhelming cultural phenomenon that is sweeping the country and, in fact, other parts of the world. Uh, and they're they're pushing back against it. They don't want kids being groomed. They don't want them to be a part of this. And I respect that. That's why we're going to talk to Chris Barrett of Gays Against Groomers coming up in uh, about 20 minutes. 10-10, of course, since it's a Tuesday, is Kersenow Day. Kersenow is, of course, going to talk about the indictment of Donald Trump. Today he will be arraigned in a Miami courtroom, and thousands of protesters are expected to greet that event. They won't see Donald Trump, who's going to be brought into the courtroom via uh, a secured, private, tunnel-type situation. Uh, but they're going to be out there protesting uh, the, you know, the the political persecution of the opposition party leader of the president of the United States, and that's exactly what this is. That's why they're going to be there, and there is a massive police presence from everything that I've read and uh, and watched this morning. There's a massive police presence to make sure that there is no violence. God willing. This is a completely 100% peaceful protest today. And I mean not one person stepping on anybody else's toes by accident in the crowd. The last thing that we can have happen today, the last thing, is some sort of violence carried out at a protest on behalf of Donald Trump because the left is already prepping the story that Trump announced exactly when and where. Van Jones said this on CNN the day it was announced on uh, this past Thursday, he said Trump announcing the date, the time, and the location for his arraignment is his attempt to stir up another January 6th. So let's make sure that anything and everything that happens there is peaceful and do not allow the provocateurs and the embedded plants in the crowd to start the trouble that we know will follow. So Chris uh, and I and I will talk about that and a whole lot more as well. You are, of course, welcome to join us at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Friends, let's stand up and do our Pledge of Allegiance so we can get this thing started. Uh, Patriots, if you've got a flag, face it, put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in political persecution and prosecution of opponents in an upcoming election, well, 
then you are a liberal Democrat and you have no earthly interest whatsoever in this flag. You don't have to pledge your allegiance to it if you choose not. We'll understand if you just want to take a knee next to that unemployed quarterback over there who started this whole thing. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, it is 919. Let's take that time out here. We'll come back. I've got a few lead stories to get into. Daniel Penny is speaking out about the charge that he faces. I've got thoughts on that. Obviously, plenty more on President Trump being politically prosecuted and persecuted. Chinese are coming across the southern border at a ridiculous rate. What does that mean? we got so much to get into today. You're in the right place. Stay here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. So it's 923, Always Right Radio, and AM 1420, The Answer. I want to do this story uh, right out of the the gate here because I'm going to get into the politics of the day, the Trump uh, arraignment today with Peter Kirshenau and so many other things. I don't want the Daniel Penny video that he uploaded personally uh, via a citizen journal to... Uh, to go, you know, to go too far without without having, you know, you having heard it. Um, it was released on uh, Sunday, actually. Daniel Penny used the not Citizen Journal, big pardon. It's the Citizen Free Press. Daniel Penny, if you don't know this specifically specific background, you should. But but Daniel Penny is the individual who um, leapt into action uh, on that New York subway when Jordan Neely, a mentally deranged and violent man, got onto the subway and began threatening people. And Daniel Penny, according to what you have all seen, we have all seen the video of Daniel Penny coming up behind him and putting him in some variation of a chokehold to take him down and restrain him while that subway uh, was moving, and he was threatening people. Daniel Penny was joined by two other individuals to help restrain uh, Jordan Neely, uh, and the story, of course, took a tragic turn when Jordan Neely died. So Jordan Neely died, and naturally the national conversation took place uh, and is taking place. The left wants Daniel Penny charged with first-degree murder. Clearly he was trying to just kill this man. Um, Reasonable people want Daniel Penny to get a medal for stepping up as a good Samaritan to try to protect people. The narrative is that the uh, attack on Jordan Neely was intentional, and it was 15 minutes long, and there's no way he had to hold him that long, and clearly he wanted to kill him. And indeed, Daniel Penny, a white former Marine or retired Marine, uh, saw this black uh, uh, individual, Jordan Neely, acting radically and figured, since he's a black guy, I'm going to attack him. So they tried to ascribe race to it. They tried to ascribe a whole bunch of other things to it. So Daniel Penny took to the Citizen uh, Free Press and uploaded a video. Now, he's got a trial coming. He's facing second-degree manslaughter charges. He didn't get the first-degree murder they wanted, the left, but overstuffed Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, the same guy that charged Trump in the ridiculous hush money uh, case, um, is charging him and making him stand trial for uh, for uh, uh, second-degree manslaughter. And usually defendants in, you know, murder or death cases don't make public statements because anything he says can be used against him in a trial. Well, when you hear the three-minute statement that Daniel Penny uploaded, 
via the Citizen Free Press, you'll see why he's not afraid of that. Because he is 100% innocent of any charges. Listen to the details. East Village in Manhattan. So I take the subway multiple times a day. In this instance, I was coming from school. I got out of class around 2.15. And I took the J Street, I was at J Street Metro Tech, took the uptown F train. Um, at 2nd Avenue, um, a man came on, stumbled on. He was, appeared to be on drugs. Um, the doors closed and he ripped his jacket off. And, violent, and threw it at the people sitting down to my left. I was listening to music at the time, uh, and he was yelling, so I took my headphones out to hear what he was yelling. And the three main threats that he repeated over and over was, I'm going to kill you, I'm prepared to go to jail for life, and I'm willing to die. You know, this, is a, this was a scary situation, and uh, Mr. Neely came on. He was, he was threatening. He's, he's a, I'm 6'2", and he was taller than me, so it was... And there's a common misconception that Marines don't get scared. We're actually taught uh, one of our core values is courage. And courage is not the absence of fear, but how you handle fear. And, you know, I was scared for myself, but I looked around. I saw women and children. He was yelling in their faces, saying, saying these threats. I couldn't just sit still. Some people say that I was holding on to Mr. Neely for 15 minutes. This is not true. I mean, between stops is only a couple minutes. So the whole interaction less, lasted less than five minutes. Some people say I was trying to choke him to death, which is also not true. I was trying to restrain him. Uh, you can see in the video, there's a clear rise and fall of his chest, indicating that he's breathing. I'm trying to restrain him from him being able to carry out the threats. And then some people say that this is about race, which is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't see a black man threatening passengers. I saw a man threatening passengers. It's a lot of whom were people of color. The man who helped restrain Mr. Neely was, was a person of color. And then a few days after the incident, I, I read in the papers that uh, a woman of color came out and called me a hero. What, I don't believe that I'm, I'm a hero, but uh, she was one of those people that I was trying to protect. We were all scared. Mr. Neely was yelling in these passengers' faces, and they looked terrified. Um, the reason why there was no video at the start of the altercation was because people were too afraid getting away from him. And the, the, didn't, the videos didn't start until they saw that situation was under control. I knew I had to act, and I acted in a way that would protect the other passengers, protect myself, and protect Mr. Neely. I used this hole to restrain him, and I did this by leaving my hand on top of his head to control his body. You can see in the video there's a clear rise and fall of his chest indicating that he was still breathing. And I'm calibrating my grip based on, on the force that he's exerting. And um, I just, I, I mean, I was trying to keep him on the ground as, until the police came. I was praying that the police would come and take this situation, under, uh, take this situation over. I didn't want to be put in that situation, but I couldn't just sit still and let, let him carry out these threats. And that's it. That's the official statement, a video statement from Daniel Penny, the New York City subway passenger car rider who um, simply tried to help other people. He's now on trial for his life with a second-degree manslaughter charge, for his freedom anyway. And overstuffed Alvin Bragg, the same prosecutor in Manhattan who sent that bodega owner last year to Rikers Island after he stabbed and killed 
a violent attacker in his store who came up and attacked him in a completely clear and obvious video-captured self-defense case. Jose Alba, the bodega owner, was sent to Rikers Island to sit and await charges for murder until massive public pressure led to overstuffed Alvin finally dropping those charges. Well, let's get a message to overstuffed Alvin. It's time to drop these charges. Daniel Penny went into hero mode. He might not see himself as a hero, but he helped people that day. He helped save people from a very violent individual. Do the right thing, for God's sake. Let's get this racial component of every single story out of the story. It doesn't apply here. This is a case of a good Samaritan helping other people, and sadly, a very, very disturbed man uh, losing his life after this, this wild event. So Daniel Penny uh, speaking out. If you've got thoughts on it, we'll hear from you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Time out for news, bottom of the hour. After the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to a representative of Gays Against Groomers. Find out what they're doing in the month of groom on AM 1420 The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. As a lesbian, I am done with pride because every single pride organization supports the medical gender transition of children. In other words, medical mutilation. My name is Nectarius and the reason I'm done with pride is because celebrating the American family there is no pride in sexually exploiting and experimenting on children. It leaves them confused, drug addicted, and even suicidal. I'm a member of Gays Against Groomers, a taxpayer, and a mom. Please, you must leave our kids alone. That is just one of a series of videos that was uploaded to the Twitter page of the group called Gays Against Groomers, in which members who are part of the LGB in the LGBTQ alphabet soup uh, are distancing themselves from some of the other letters, particularly because of exactly what is implied in the name, the grooming of our children into a lifestyle that they may have no interest in whatsoever while their brains are preformative and while they cannot make sound decisions. That's what grooming is. This group has gained some enormous popularity. Uh, they have 323,000 followers on Twitter, uh, they have, they look like they're well funded. They have trucks that go from city to city, uh, just completely, uh, uh, labeled and decked out with pride is not for kid warning signs on the trucks. Take your children home. Uh, gaze against groomers is trying to protect kids. And I, uh, support the protection of kids, particularly in this extraordinary time in which the transing of American children is the agenda. Uh, of the far left. So joining me now, I reached out to Gays Against Groomers and said, I got to talk to somebody about who you guys are, how you started, and, and why you're doing what you're doing. And they sent me Chris Barrett. Chris Barrett joins us now on AM 1420 The Answer. Chris, I don't know if you have a specific title with Gays Against Groomers, but you are obviously a representative, and I welcome you to the program. How are you? 
I'm doing good, Bob, and thank you so much for uh, having us on. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to be able to get the word out. I do have a title within Gays Against Groomers. Um, I am co-director of chapters, so I'm responsible for all, all of our chapters in the United States, in Canada, and all of our other international chapters as well. I also happen to be the Missouri chapter leader, so I serve a dual role within the organization. How many chapters do you have, Chris? Um, let me see. I think right now we are probably around 20 chapters, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, tell me the background. Tell me when this started with Chapter 1. Tell me why this started with Chapter 1, and then we'll talk about the evolution and the growth of the organization Gays Against Groomers. Who, whose idea was this, and when, when, did, when and where did it start? Um, yeah, so um, uh, it was started by a woman named Jamie Michelle and uh, her partner, Sasha, and they, they got everything rolling. Our first chapter was in California, actually. Um, then it started really spreading throughout California, and then it started really taking off even in the Midwest and uh, mountain states, and we are uh, starting to get Canadian chapters as well. We're only one year old. Uh, in fact, uh, we celebrated our one-year anniversary last week. So uh, a lot has happened within one year, and it's just amazing the amount of uh, exposure we've been able to put on uh, the crazy gender ideology uh, uh, being forced upon kids. Mm-hmm. And like, like you said, we have well over 300,000 followers on Twitter. We've uh, gotten quite a bit of uh, media attention and everything. And I think it's because people know that we're doing the right thing. Well, based on everything that I've been able to read and and, and gather from following you, you are doing the right thing. I wouldn't put you on otherwise. Um, I, I wouldn't set somebody up and bring them on here just to complain about them. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm not kidding. I... Uh, I'm 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 inspired almost by what I see and hear. You guys are and girls, men and women are um, putting yourselves on the line. You're you're putting, I would imagine, uh, the 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 gay rights movement that that began a very long time ago that achieved a lot of tremendous you know uh, gains and and strides forward. Um, you, you you're putting a lot of that on the line because you are separating yourself from other people in the LGBTQ spectrum, as they call it. That takes guts. That takes courage, and that's the reason why I'm inspired by you guys. I don't necessarily agree with the lifestyle or any of your lifestyles, but that's not my place to judge. What I have always said is, if you are an adult. Uh, consenting person in the United States and you choose to live your life a certain way and you choose to uh, have uh, 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 you know a, a lifestyle that is different than mine that's not my business but keep kids out of it and that seems to be sure. the mantra that you guys have have adopted and for that I have nothing but respect so so let's let's get into this you said it started a year ago what was the genesis what was the movement uh, you know what 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 event happened that uh, some of you guys got together and said we got to do something here well, uh, it, it was basically Pride Month, uh, the kind of like, I, I guess you could say was sort of the genesis. Um, we, we, our, our founder, Jamie Michelle, basically had it with the grooming of children. The, you know, our mission statement is that we're gays and lesbians against the medicalization, indoctrination, and sexualization of children. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to do something about it. And it started as a Twitter account. 
That's all it was originally. And it, it was just to get information out there. But then she turned it into an actual organization. We're now a 501c4, uh, not a not-for-profit organization. Uh, we do endorse political candidates, but we're uh, nonpartisan. So we'll, we'll go with anyone that's willing to work with us, uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, so, the, uh, the Pride Month, though, was kind of like the kickoff. And because there's like so much craziness surrounding Pride Month, and we're kind of sick of that stuff, too. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, we're talking to Chris Barrett, if you just turned it on. He is the co-director of chapters for a nonprofit, an officially sanctioned 501c4 nonprofit called Gays Against Groomers, uh, which is against the sexualization, indoctrination, and medicalization of children under the guise of LGBTQ. Um, so how many members are there? This started one year ago. you got 323,000 followers, but approximately how many members are there in the group? I'd, I'd say we have about a couple hundred right now so obviously we're looking to grow what have I, I i kind of hinted at this a moment ago when i said you're putting yourself on the line here because you're obviously an activist person you believe in your right uh to your own lifestyle and so forth so on and so forth but i have to imagine other members of the lgbtq community look at you and the other couple hundred members here as being sellouts you're selling out you know our rights you're selling out our freedom to do what we want when we want and that's what this whole thing is supposed to be do you hear and and feel that backlash Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. And to make it perfectly clear, we're we're not against say, uh, equal rights for gay people. You know, I, I mean, we're no, not. No, no, no. I, I hope I didn't suggest it that way. No, no, no. Because oh, no, 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 yeah, no, the gay did. rights movement. Obviously, you guys are behind. But as I kind of said in the intro. You, 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 you appear to be separating the alphabet from the LGB from the rest of it because it's the rest of it that is advancing this movement toward bringing children in. Right, right, right. Yeah, and no, you, you were fine. You didn't suggest anything weird or anything like that. But it, I was leading into um, the, the fact that it, it seems like, like, for instance, I've been called a homophobe, which is almost hilarious. But um, the, I have been called a sellout. Um, I get threats online, those sorts of things. I, I mean, they're very angry at us, but they, I, I think a lot of it is they don't understand what we're trying to do. We are simply focusing in on protecting children. That's all we're doing. We're not uh, trying to demonize anybody, any of that type of stuff. I mean, we're, we even do work with some trans adults as well and uh, that just, you know, want kids left alone. You know, because are I'm there like, trans yeah. members in the two hundred or a couple hundred or so? Do you have trans members of of gays against groomers? Yes, we do. Yep. You do. We sure do. That's mm-hmm. interesting because because you know what we're talking about here when we talk about the targeting of children and the grooming of children, um, you know that we have watched in so many different ways is they're not grooming them to be gay. They're not grooming them to to come out and say at age three, that I'm gay. They want them to say I'm the other sex. It's the transing right. of children that is the threat here, uh, which is why the drag shows uh, for children and quote-unquote family-friendly drag shows are, are put out there. It's men can become women, dress like them, right. act like them, and ultimately you know, become surgically mutilated in an attempt to become them. So, so it's interesting that you actually have some trans members working with you against the transing of children and the transing of America. Right. And like you said earlier, um, we take no issue with whatever an adult wants to do. You know, that, that, that's their decision. And so uh, that, that's why, you know, we're, we're open to working 
with trans people who are for protecting children. Now, the, now, now the do they get called? I, I apologize, Chris. Do oh, sure. they get called? Um, you know, transphobes. You know, you're a gay man. You get called a homophobe. It's like a black man being called a white supremacist, uh, and that mm-hmm. happens too because of the, it's just the radicalization of, of the country at the moment. But but you, you're a gay man who gets called a homophobe. Do any of the trans members of your group be? Are they called transphobes? Are they called against themselves? Oh sure. Oh yeah. Absolutely. How do they yep. how do they handle that? How, and I don't mean how do they process it. I mean like, what is their explanation? If somebody went up to them and said, "You, a trans person, are a transphobe," what are they saying in response? It's kind of hard for me to speak exactly on their behalf, but I can certainly say on my behalf, being called like say a homophobe, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would I just challenge them, and I'm sure the trans people that uh, we work with would probably say the exact uh, something similar. Is what am I doing that is rolling back? gay rights you know that that's what i would say and i'm sure that they would say something similar to that effect so um chris tell me tell me how you define grooming you, this group is called Gays Against Groomers, and, and it has become a, a taboo word. It's, uh, you know, you can't say that. Uh, they, anybody who calls, you know, the trans movement grooming children, you know, it's, uh, it, it's considered to be, a, you know, a slur to call somebody a groomer. But I don't know another word that more accurately defines what they're trying to do when they have teachers in preschool classrooms or daycare centers, much less elementary school, middle school, and above, uh, out there trying to tell the kids that they don't have to be boys and they don't have to be girls. If that's not grooming them for a lifestyle uh, and, and a change, then I don't know what to call it. How do you define it? Yeah, well, I, I mean, basically, it, it's confusing children uh, and starting the confusion as early as possible so that they can be led into a life of permanent medicalization. And, you know, I, I mean, I can't help but think that there is a financial interest in this, too, you know, uh, because um, a friend of mine was telling me about the amount of money that can be made off of one uh, child over their lifetime. And in the state of Missouri, which is where I live, um, I think that the last time I heard there's like 22,000 trans identified. And if you put that, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but basically we were talking about billions of dollars to be made off of this just in the state of Missouri alone. So if you go around all 50 states, I'm sure we're talking trillions of dollars at that point. So there's obviously a financial interest in this. But, yeah, as far as, like, actually grooming, uh, you know, they start at a very early age, introduce the kids to the concept of gender, which is a load of crap, um, as opposed to, you know, actually focusing on the actual biological sex of, you know, people. Instead, they've invented this term gender uh and separated it out from sex it used to be a synonym but now somehow it's something different so yeah so you're, I, so I mean, you're, I of, the, you're of the view uh chris barrett that uh gender is is a made-up term that uh that, that there is there's a binary there are just men and there are just women oh yeah absolutely um, is that the yeah. default position of the group well we don't really necessarily get so much into that but i i will say that even uh, the the trans people that we work with, I mean, these are trans people that say, for instance, say a trans woman, they acknowledge that they're actually a male, you know. Okay. Uh, wh- well, whereas, that's important. 
that that's important. Yeah. And that's something that you know we don't get very often. We are told trans women are women, and of course it is absurd. And the idea of pregnant males uh, is is also absurd. Uh, and, and right. I'm sure you see a lot of that too. Tell me about the parades. And t- I'm looking at the tweet um, that you guys put out yesterday of the truck, and it's a black truck with re- yellow like warning caution signs saying Pride is not <laughs> for kids. Take your children home. Is this does this get uh, driven to parades in various cities or to drag shows yeah. or or, or the, is that what it's all about? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just a just a way to uh, protest and uh, get our message out. Now we do actually do actual protests uh, at uh, pride events. Uh, we do have one planned in St. Louis. Actually, uh, I don't know if you know who Scott Nugent is. Uh, he's uh, uh, I do. On... I do. As a matter of fact, we're going to be having him on in the, in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, Scott and I are friends. And um, anyway, uh, he and I worked to put together this protest in St. Louis. It's going to be on June 24th in St. Louis. We have information about it on the Days of Consumers website if anyone's interested in you know, traveling to St. Louis and helping us out. That would be awesome. But um, anyway, so we do do actual protests. But um, some of these places are kind of dangerous to go into, so mm-hmm. we'll send our truck. Uh, you you kind of led right into what I was going to ask you. When you go to these events or you send the truck into these uh, places and, and people go and protest, um, does it get threatening? Uh, because we have seen peaceful protests really are no longer peaceful most of the time in this country over a variety of things and reasons why. And I'm wondering, does it get violent when you guys go to a quote-unquote pride parade to tell people, stop this, you know, this uh, uh, not being proud of who you are, but the, the, the part about what this movement has become and the, uh, and the sexualization and the grooming of children? Right. So, our, like, our event in St. Louis, uh, it's, it's primarily because they're inviting kids into the event. So that's what we're protesting. We don't like that. Um, but as far as uh, the violence uh, is at Pride events, this is really uh, the thing in St. Louis is probably our first big actual Pride event that we're doing. And um, <clears throat> so we'll see how that goes. Ho- hopefully everything will be fine. We're going to have security there. Um, but other events that we've been a part of, like, for instance, our California chapter leaders were involved in uh, a school board meeting that uh, where, well, what it was is the school was uh, teaching gender ideology. Right. And so they were going to go speak at the school board meeting to speak out against what the school, schools were teaching. Mm-hmm. And a huge riot basically broke out. And they had to shut down the school board meeting and that sort of thing. Was, was, that, the, was, was that the Glendale uh, uh, one that uh, happened just a, yes. a week Yes, and of course so? Antifa was there. Yeah. Yeah, because they're there to start most of it. Uh, that that's the reality. That they are they are they are a, a chaos uh, group. Um, we're talking to Chris Barrett, who is the co-director of chapters for the organization called Gays Against Groomers, couple hundred strong, but with over three hundred twenty thousand followers on Twitter. Um, Chris, are you married? Yeah, yeah, I am. Okay. Um, I want to ask about that. Um, when the Obergefell decision came down and same-sex marriage was legalized uh, in America. I and many other people uh, with platforms said, you don't understand this is going to what this is going to lead to. 
this is going to lead to some very, very dangerous places. Um, it wasn't so much trying to stop people from getting married. It was more about this is the the start of a very, very slippery slope because eventually this is going to turn into family issues and it's going to turn into children. And sure enough, here we are, 10, 12, whatever it is, years later, uh, we're there. And I'm wondering how you feel about that aspect of it because um, what went from gay rights to marriage rights was, was inevitably going to come into this. Do you... Do you, I don't want to say, do you, certainly you don't regret your marriage, but I mean, do you, do you, is there any second thoughts? Are there any second thoughts about that becoming legal, knowing that it was, knowing now, in retrospect, what it did lead to, this massive movement of, of, of embracing kids and bringing them into, um, uh, you know, in, in, into this equation that should be very clearly for adults? Right. Well, it is kind of a complex situation. I personally don't think that it was necessarily inevitable that it would lead to this. I do think that, you know, uh, just to try to simplify it a little bit, there there was a push uh, back in the 1990s in academia uh, about um, uh, so-called queer theory, which then also evolved into gender theory. Right. And uh, they were both anti-gay movements, really, when it gets down to it, because they, they saw us as embracing heteronormativity by wanting to get married and that sort of thing. And um, so the fight was already there. Um, it, it was brewing even back in the 90s. So then fast forward to, to now uh, when, you know, same-sex marriage was allowed and we had our, you know, equal rights, like we couldn't be fired from our jobs and all that type of stuff just because our employers right. found out that we were gay. Right. So, <clears throat> so all of these gay rights organizations had no reason to exist anymore. So they needed to find a new reason to exist. And so they embraced gender ideology and queer theory and all that type of stuff. Really, I would say the vast majority of gay and lesbian people were willing to pack up our bags and go home uh, after we got everything that we wanted. But these organizations weren't. But isn't that, and that's kind of the reason for my question. Um, because it, it, it never, no one who is an activist ever is done being an activist. They never declare victory and go home. And I'm glad to hear you say it, you and several others, but they just don't, which is why so many of us said this will not stop at marriage. This will indeed evolve into queer theory, gender theory, and eventually, uh, the recruitment of children into the, into this thing. This is, I mean, it was as, it was as obvious as, as anything could be. This was coming. Uh, we did see the inevitability, and, and here we sit. And, the, and so I guess what I'm asking is, if you had it to do over again, would you would you still push for same-sex marriage if you knew this would be the outcome, the grooming well, of children that I you oppose right this now? Would be the outcome. Yeah, that's the interesting question. I, I mean, hmm. I guess it's just that I don't necessarily believe that it had to be inevitable. I just think that our community needs to do a better job of speaking out yeah. against what has happened. Because I, I, from my point of view, it's not so much that it was inevitable. I feel that we were hijacked, if that makes sense. I, I can see it that way. I, I, I don't think it's probably the most accurate term in my humble opinion because I don't think it is a high I just think it was a natural extension uh, when you push and push and push for certain things and, and like I said it is always what is the next cause what is the next push what is the next thing what is the next radical thing that we can do to shock the system to uproot heteronormativity and so on and so forth and to and to not just say we're now accepted and we're tolerated and accepted which used to be words that were 
you know, kind of the buzzwords we were pushing for, hoping for, but we must be celebrated. We must be given parades. We must be giving our own nights at the ballpark and all of these kinds of things. That was just a natural extension of what was going on. Well, I, I can tell you, Gaze Against Kramers, almost every Gaze Against Kramers member would think that all of that stuff is silly. You know, uh, we. The nights at the ballpark, you know, all the parades, stuff like that. I, I mean, honestly, that's why we put out those videos saying that we were done with Pride. I mean, honestly, it doesn't make any sense as to why we're even doing it anymore, you know. But That's why I salute you guys that, that and girls. That, that's the reason I, 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 I follow you uh, on, on Twitter. It's the reason why I... Uh, you know, support you. And I said it was inspirational to hear people in your situations, people who are part of the LGBTQ community willing to push back against the uh, extraordinary radicalism of the LGBTQ community, especially when it involves kids. Involves kids, And so sure. uh, I, I, and I, I do really, want to point out real, real yeah, quick. Super that, quick because I'm up against the top of the hour. Sure. I, I just want to point out real quick that when I offered my opinion on same-sex marriage, that was just my opinion. I certainly wasn't representing the organization because we have a myriad of opinions on that certainly. issue within our organization. Yeah, duly noted. Duly noted. No problem. Chris Barrett, uh, co-director of Chapters and the chapter leader of Gays Against Groomers in Missouri. Chris, I appreciate you coming on. Keep fighting for kids. We will stand beside you as you fight to stop uh, the grooming and the indoctrination of kids into these uh, lifestyles. It is simply not for children. It is for adults to do whatever they want to do. But for kids, uh, we are all on the same side here. So I appreciate what you're doing, and I thank you for coming on. Absolutely, Bob. I I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. 10 o'clock. We're going to catch up uh, and get our newscast here, then Kirsten now on AM 1420 The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two now underway at 10 minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. It is a Tuesday, the 13th morning of the sixth month in the year of our Lord 2023. Hey, tomorrow is Flag Day, by the way. <clears throat> I want to um, remind you once again about uh, the Flag Day event that's going on with Strongsville GOP tomorrow at the Harvest Saloon and in, uh, in uh, Strongsville. We're going to have a great time. Very much looking forward to that. I'll be giving a speech. Uh, the uh, chair of the uh, Calgary County Republican Party, Lisa Sticken, is going to talk. Uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a wonderful event. So if you are in the area, uh, we would love for you to stop by tomorrow night again at about six thirty. And uh, if you are not in the area, I would recommend that you get in the area and join us tomorrow at about six thirty. There is no reason not to. It's going to be a celebration of all things America and also a highlighting of our fight. Uh, our fight to win in August. The special election election is coming up. Early voting is about a month away in the August special election to change the uh, Constitution provision, the threshold from 50 to 60 percent. We have to pass that, and then we have to make sure we defeat the radical um, ballot initiative that the left has put on in November. So we're going to talk about those things as well. So tomorrow, I would love to have you there. We're going to be at the Harvest Saloon in Strongsville at 6.30 for a Flag Day event, and I will be giving a speech that uh, hopefully you will find of some value. Uh, let's. Uh, it is Tuesday. You know what that means, don't you? It's a Kersenow day. Let's bring in our good friend Peter Kersenow, who brought his... Who brought his 
throng of fans with him, as you could hear. Peter Kersenow is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is an author. He is an attorney. He is a columnist. He is a little bit of a do-everything guy. And, of course, he hosts the Kersenow Report here on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm uh, spectacular. And speaking of uh, Strongsville, I understand you're going to be there um, and I will be there also. And uh, Shannon Burns tells me that you're going to have a larger crowd than I am, which I dispute. It's going to be July 19th. I want everybody to be there at the Best Western. It's going to be a rollicking occasion. I'm going to be giving a barn burner of a presentation. So uh, come on out. And also, you mentioned Lucy Sticken. I think, um, I don't have the exact date, but I think it's July 25th, just next week. I'll be at Highland Heights talking to uh, her group there. And uh, I've spoken there before, and that was a phenomenal crowd, too. We, we always have a good time. Shannon Burns is like a WWE promoter. Is what he, he, he knows how to try to play this game, and he pits us against one another. He told me that Kersenow told me uh, that he was going to have a way bigger crowd than you. Are you going to stand for that? <laughs> I said, well, I said I would never actually be dumb enough to pit myself against Peter Kersenow, uh, but uh, but uh, we'll see what we can do. And uh, sure enough, he even, he even texted me yesterday and said the same exact thing to let everybody know that the fight is on, and you're going to have a, make sure they have a head counter at the door to see who has the bigger crowd. Um, and I, you know what I told him, Pete? I said, it's a little bit, a little bit unfair, because I will be a part of your crowd. I'm coming to watch you. <laughs> I mean, how can I not? So uh, uh, it's a lot of fun, though, and we're going to have a great time tomorrow, and we have a lot yeah. of very important things to talk about. Uh, Peter, let's, uh, let's start with the giant elephant in the room here. Uh, there's an arraignment today down in Miami. There is also a plan, apparently, for a protest that could reach into the thousands. Uh, I saw a report this morning. They said they're preparing the uh, police there to make sure that everything is peaceful for 5,000 or 50,000. They don't know what's going to happen, but um, a massive number of Trump supporters who are going to be protesting this political prosecution are going to be on hand for the simple arraignment today. Uh, I haven't talked to you since it came down late last week, Thursday, Friday, so um, let's uh, let's start there. What is your yeah, impression of this, lot, uh, lot, of this prosecution? Say, uh, okay. Well, first of all, let's address the, the immediate concern, and that is that uh, when people show up for uh, Trump's uh, arraignment, we have to make sure that there's absolutely no violence. I have no doubt whatsoever the left's going to try to instigate it. They may even have plants. I know that no sounds question. like a conspiracy theory, but my goodness, what, what we've seen over the last seven years, and if you think that there's not something like that going on, you've had your head in the sand. No matter what the media tries to tell you, I mean, we, can, we have our own eyes, we see what's going on. I've seen it with my own eyes, and it's uh, something I've never seen in, in my time on Earth. I've, I've not seen anything like this. I have gotten so many emails and phone calls and even in casual conversations with people, just regular people, people who aren't political, who've noticed how the country has changed radically just in the last couple of years. Now, there's been a slow shift over a number of years, um, but the downward descent into something that we don't recognize has been extraordinary over the last couple of years. And it's, um, I think, highlighted by the fact that we, we've got more information that's been revealed now. And I mean, we could talk about this for hours and hours. But that, uh, and you and I have talked about how our major institutions, you know, have been complicit in this uh, shift to the left and trying yeah. to affect the elections. But to have the FBI especially, and all the other intelligence agencies also, but the FBI to be as politicized as they have been in a way that, and I've said this a number of times in the past, you have listeners in your audience, I've spoken to them. And I'm one of them also, who've had family members who've escaped from totalitarian regimes, 
We have first-hand knowledge of this stuff. This is not just pie in the sky. And we've always said, watch out for this stuff. We're going down a dangerous, dangerous path here. We've seen this movie before. You don't want to do this. And we have been descending into this abyss so rapidly over the last couple of years, it's frightening to see that the FBI has not just put a thumb on the scale, they've put an anvil on the scale in terms of trying to affect the political process. In so many ways, trumping up charges against, no pun intended, trumping up charges against Trump, uh, assisting in uh, perpetuating the Hillary Clinton-created Russia collusion, collusion hoax, they knew at the outset there was nothing to it. They lied to FISA courts. You had the upper echelons of the FBI doing this kind of stuff, and it's doing it once more. The whole paperwork issue, I agree with Mark Levin on this. Um, he's done a much deeper dive than I have, but to the extent I've looked at this, I mean, my goodness, paperwork, uh, not the Paperwork Reduction Act, but the Presidential Records Act right. governs all of this. You don't have to, I mean, I've seen very credible people, people I know who are very smart, you know, even Andy McCarthy, who've tried to unpack this and look at little details of this. Um, there's a lot to talk about in that regard, by the way, um, it, with respect to, you know, what um, legality or what, what uh, laws govern this um, and whether or not Trump may have had some technical violations of the law. The bottom line is this. There are overarching considerations. I'm not conceding that Trump did anything wrong whatsoever. But even if you take the argument of the left, the strained arguments of the left, it is completely overridden by a huge, much bigger consideration, a consideration that spans civilizations. And that is you do not do something like you're doing here, going after a president of the United States, a former president of the United States who is a candidate for the presidency, again, against the regime, and that's what this is, that is currently trying to prosecute him. It's a, an extraordinary pass. You see this, and again, you've heard this on the radio, but it's true. You see this in totalitarian regimes. You know, I just got finished yesterday, finishing my, the sequel to my next novel, uh, to, to my last novel, and prominent throughout is a guy who many of your audience members will recognize historical figure Lavrenti Berea, head of the NKVD, one of the most despicable human beings ever birthed on this planet. And he used to say, you know, show me the crime, or show me um, the man and I'll show you the crime. But it goes right. beyond that. Um, the way they went after people and the way they set them up, even though they didn't really have to do it in the Soviet Union, I mean, they could just disappear somebody. But the way they did political prosecutions is so reminiscent of what we are seeing right now. And again, Cleveland is one of those towns that has huge emigrate populations from the old Soviet Union, the old Eastern Bloc. They know intuitively what I'm talking about here. And when you hear these airheads, I hate to use these types of terms, but that's what they are. They know nothing. They've never learned anything on TV, especially the anchors, the, the blow-dried anchors who don't know anything about anything. And they're pontificating about these things. They know not of which they speak. This is a dangerous path, path folks. We must do whatever we can to resist it. But to the extent whatever is going on today, be as peaceful as possible. Stay away from anything that could even be remotely considered or manufactured into being some kind of uh, violent uh, situation because the left is prepping for this. They want this to be another January 6th. They're hoping this to, to be another January 6th because on their own merits, they can't beat Trump. They know they can't do it. They have been revealed 
And this has been a huge in-kind contribution for Trump, frankly. I mean, he's gotten tons of uh, campaign donations, as we know. But also, I think the scales have been removed from the eyes of some people who are agnostic about this and have seen how politicized this is and what the double standard is. When you have a Hillary Clinton who did, even if you take what Trump said at face value, what Hillary Clinton did is 10,000 times worse. And what did James Comey of the FBI do? Say, eh, no reasonable prosecutor would do anything about this. But they pervert FBI protocols entirely to go after what amounts to, if anything, a paperwork violation. It's not one, you know, with respect okay. to Donald Trump. We saw Sandy Berger put stuff down his pants. No problems. We see Joe Biden getting $5 million and $3 million prods. No problem. We even try to cover it up. But this, folks, this determines whether or not we continue to be a constitutional republic. Okay. There's a lot There's a lot there. Um, let's go back to the one of the first things that you said the argument that Trump did nothing wrong. Um, there was a there was a conversation yesterday, or excuse me, Sunday between Jim Jordan and Dana Bash on CNN about this. That there's an audio tape uh, as one of the charges, or as part of the thirty plus charges that they are, uh, you know, counts that they were bringing against him. There's an audio tape that purports, and I, I, don't, I don't know if it's actually been heard by anybody in the media, but they're all saying it exists and it's real and it's been heard. It just hasn't been played for us yet, but purports to hear Donald Trump telling an aide that there was a classified document he held in his hand that he could have declassified when he was president, but now I can't, and that this was something that he was not turning over. Um, if that audio tape exists, that seems to be the one particular uh you know, ace in the in the, in the hole, if you will, the whole card that they're holding on to. That even if everything else falls flat, you cannot undo an audio tape of him admitting that there's a document here that you could have declassified, you didn't declassify. So the Presidential Records Act that says you can declassify whatever you want, whatever you want, as long as you're still president, doesn't apply here. You could have, you didn't, and now you can't. Uh, Congressman Jordan had a hard time explaining that yesterday. He had a hard time explaining that on uh, on Dana Bash and then with me. How do you explain it? Yeah, I, I got a very simple explanation. As I said, I don't know whether or not Donald Trump committed any violations of the Paperwork Reduction Act or anything else. Okay, I don't know, and I, I try to be as objective as of, about this as possible. And neither does the media. But with respect to that, if Donald Trump did not declassify a particular document, admits that on audio tape, and has shown it to somebody. We go to the overarching issue, because we're not talking about, you know, some clerk at uh, CVS not showing a receipt to somebody, okay? What we are talking about is the President of the United States, and we're talking about the unequal application of the law. Because what we have, how do they then say we're not going after Hillary Clinton, who is not President of the United States and could not declassify 30 thousand subpoenaed emails how could they not do that how could they not go after joe biden who people i've I've made these very same arguments i've made these very same arguments and i agree with them you're right and i'm right you're uh, it's a thousand percent right this is a political targeting which is which is unconstitutional but just taking the others out of the equation if this was a standalone or better yet if they said we are going to retroactively now charge Hillary Clinton, we are going to charge and indict Donald, or I mean uh, Joe Biden, uh, President Trump's case is still going to have to stand on its own. Then, in that particular situation, 
what, what what would be what would be the defense? How do we how do we handle that? I Bob, I think it's a huge mistake to concede that there should be any kind of technical legal defense. Okay, one will be mounted, whatever his lawyers decide to do. But the bigger issue here is one of the perversion of justice in the United States of America. We have a thing called prosecutorial discretion, but it goes beyond that simply. We have just an egregious violation of equal justice under the law here. You do not do something like this for the overarching reasons I mentioned before. This is wrong, and everybody knows it's wrong. What you have here is... But we're not disagreeing on that. We agree on that that wholeheartedly. This should not be brought. This is BS. It's bogus. It's political. It is a banana republic type stuff. Everything you said is right. Everything you said is right. This is you compare to to other regimes where they where they literally, as you say, jail the uh, the primary opponent. Uh, you know, in in an upcoming election, uh, I, I get it. It is wrong and on its face. What they're doing here is absolutely indefensible. I'm just saying that a jury, though, is going to hear not about Hillary Clinton, and a jury is not going to hear about Joe Biden. A jury is going to hear an audio tape that shows President Trump saying this, and I'm wondering how they play that and how they how the, you know how the Trump team will defend that. That's that's all I'm focusing on at this moment. I, think I agree with the, everything you're saying, but they're going to put this yeah. in front of a jury in a presidential election cycle, uh, which is just in, you know unconscionable. This is textbook election interference. It's textbook destroy orange man bad. But they're doing it, and I want to know how he defends against that. Yeah, I think I don't know what his attorneys are going to do, and I don't know. I'm not privy to all the information that they ha- they are. But the first thing that comes to mind is kind of what's known as a mens rea defense. Donald Trump is not a lawyer, and that's no excuse, okay? You're not, you're presumed to know the law. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that most of us would look at something like this and say, this is, you know, the the President of the United States, who wasn't aware or may not have been completely cognizant of the strictures surrounding this particular document, and, you know, in good faith, he says, you know, I, I, I didn't declassify this thing, and what do you think I should do with this thing, all right? Right. Um, Again, you know, you've got that kind of, did did he have an intent to violate the law here? Was he trying to do something to subvert the law or the justice system? And I think you can't say that. There's no way, as opposed to say, and again, I'm not making comparisons, but almost any other situation that we've talked about where there was an intent and knowledge, there was mens rea, you knew what you were doing, you're trying to violate the law. Donald Trump here probably wasn't doing anything. We know, we've seen Trump in action. One of the things that we love about him, one of the things that makes us crazy also is that he is just a guy. He doesn't know what the law is. He doesn't know what, what protocols are. And he does things that, you know, you can hang him on a bunch of things, all right? But he's an ordinary human being in that regard. He's just an ordinary, he doesn't see anything wrong with this. And then when he's called on it, he says, well, you know, this thing, uh, I didn't declassify it, but what should I do with it? Okay, so are they going to go after him over those things? When Alvin Bragg decides to prosecute the people who are committing murder, then, you know, maybe I'll listen. Yeah, you know, fair point. And, and, and by the way, another element to this, too, Pete, we don't even know what the paper said. We have no idea what he was holding in his hand. We don't even know how, quote-unquote, classified it was. Or And they were playing verbal, uh, lingui- doing verbal linguistics with, uh, yeah. with this uh, in terms of what is a classified document versus a document that may have classified markings, which is different. 
uh, you know, and, and you, you, and you need to be in the intelligence community to understand it, but, but the, the way that it has been explained for us lay folk, me, not you, uh, is that classified markings are, uh, on a document are different than a fully, de- a fully classified document. And so they are using every single trick that they can of the book to make uh, Donald Trump look guilty of something. And we don't know whether this document was classified or if it was a document that had a classified marking on it or what the reality of it was. And until we find that out, all of this, you know, presumptuous, uh, you know, condemnation and conviction, quite yeah. frankly, of Donald Trump is inappropriate. Um, but, 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 I, but like I said, this is the one element that they're clinging to. We're going to take a time out here, Pete, and I do want you to tell me about Presidential Records Act versus Espionage Act because they're using the Espionage Act here to go after him. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, we've got a lot more to talk about with Kirsten now, too. Stay here. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1037. Now, we do consent, uh, continue with uh, Peter Kersenow. Peter, um, I think I want to hold off on the Espionage Act to, to talk about one other thing. I want, you, I want to listen to Nancy Mace. She was on with Maria Bartiromo um, talking about a lot, a lot of what you had to say about the banana republic that involves a current sitting president taking out his chief rival, uh, because this matters. Well, November 9th of last year, it was the president himself uh, giving his speech. He said he would use the Constitution to ensure he could bar and ban Donald Trump from running for presidency or from being president ever again. November of last year, he said that he's using every tool available to himself to take out his political enemy number one, including additional indictments. And so uh, what we have to do is show the corruption of the Biden family and of the current president to the fullest extent of the law, using facts and not fiction, being methodical and deliberate before we bring any charges or accuse the president of anything else. We've got to make sure the American people can see the evidence for themselves. And, and Pete, that is largely what it would appear um, James Comer, the chairman of the Oversight Committee, yep. is doing right now. He's bringing information that the American people need to hear and that the Department of Justice is going to have to consider. Listen to this. If, if we can trace bribery, it sure does. But look what we've already found, Larry. Uh, the Biden family has at least 20 shell companies that were created for the sole purpose to launder money to at least nine Biden family members. When you create a bunch of shell companies for the sole purpose of laundering money, that's called racketeering. And the and the the money laundering, the, those aren't my words. Those are the words of at least six big publicly traded banks that filed bank violations against the Biden family. They said it sure appears that they're money laundering. So these are some serious crimes that we've already uncovered. So, Peter, let's focus on this aspect of it now, then. Um, is the Biden Justice Department's special counsel, we got to go through Biden to Merrick Garland to Jack Smith, is this decision to indict solely to take the focus off of the very, very deepening investigation by the Oversight Committee into the Biden crime family and their alleged accepting of millions of dollars in exchange for policy decisions and influence from when he was vice president? 
Yeah, they can walk and chew gum at the same time. It's, it's both. I think they want to go after Trump without question, and they want to take the focus off of the deep corruption, evident corruption, that the FBI seems to be you know, okay with. They don't have a problem with it. It's the type of corruption that uh, is endemic to banana republics. We've never seen anything like this in the United States of America. We are in a very bad pass. But because we also have an entirely corrupt national media, a significant portion of our population is completely oblivious to this, and that's one of the reasons why they continue to do this. They want to deflect from Biden. They don't want to report about Biden also, and they want to, again, engineer the next election. I think it's going to fail this time after seven years of seeing this play being run over and over. It's like, you know, running Red Right 88 700 times in a row. After a while, the Oakland Raiders are going to figure out where the pass is going to go. And the Oakland Raiders did in the first pass, unfortunately, but they're going to know where to go. So this is um, part of the game plan. We've seen this so many times with the Democrats and with their complicit allies in the media. But I repeat myself. And we have to become smarter and more vigorous and more aggressive in, um, in revealing this. And every time we have a media platform, we have to talk about this. Because I really, I don't want to be histrionic, but I do think being as uh, sober about this as possible, and I know you have, and I'm sure your listeners have, more frequently over the last couple of years than at any time before, think that the United States is at a dangerous pass right now. Um, you know, going back, for example... That's not histrionic. At, that's, that's, that's easily verifiable. I mean, honestly, yeah. if you look up and down the news cycle right now, that's not histrionic at all. That's very, uh, very, very easily verifiable. Um, and, 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 Pete, just hit this one more time about this, this, this Biden crime family situation and the fact that I think the timing of the Trump indictment comes yeah. at a time when, when, you know, the curtain is being pulled back on some of what they're doing. Yesterday, we found out that Senator Grassley... You talk yeah. about bringing the receipts here. Senator Grassley revealed that, that the Burisma executive who paid, allegedly, paid Joe Biden and Hunter Biden kept 17 audio recordings of his conversations with them as an insurance policy, uh, citing the FBI's FD 1023 form that the Bureau uh, briefed congressional lawmakers on. Grassley said uh, that he kept this, the, the Burisma executive did, uh, in the event that he needed to have any kind of leverage, if you will, if somebody tried to come for him. Yeah. Peter, this is, this is now, now if this is not true, if no such audio recordings exist, and, and Comer and, and Grassley and others are coming forward with something that they cannot prove, it's going to be the end. It's going to be the end of the Republican Party. It's going to be the end of any true hope yeah. for, uh, for honest investigations going forward. So I have to believe they wouldn't be making these public announcements yeah. unless they actually have proof of this. What does that tell us? The fact that Biden is about to be exposed as a, as, as a criminal who accepted bribes as vice president of the United States to enrich himself and his family and what do we do then we got to make sure nobody's talking about it we got to get trump in court right now yeah good summary right there bob i have not much to add to that but it it really shows where we are and where the justice department is and how corrupt they are because everyone in the justice department knows about this you could not not know about it this is that big and i'd like to give a shout out to senator grassley who with whom i've dealt with a number of times over the years a great gentleman and he looks like this old farmer from you know the midwest who really you know he's kind of old and doesn't know what he's doing believe me he is extremely shrewd and i think he's playing a very shrewd strategy 
strategy where he knows more than he lets on to until such time as the other side has already put their foot in the trap. That's why he is laying this stuff out the way he's doing it. And I think they've got a significant issue here. Now, the bigger issue, of course, is you've got the entire Justice Department establishment, including the FBI, including the IRS, too, that is standing firm in the protection of the Bidens, the Praetorian Guard for the Bidens. The corruption is breathtaking, and usually you would have a media that at least lets, I mean, this is the biggest story we've had in my lifetime. There's nothing like this. A president where there's credible, credible, credible evidence that the president has been compromised in bribes by foreign powers, not just Ukraine with five million, but with China with three million, our principal adversary. And when you look at, I mean, you wouldn't even have to have the um, supporting information if you simply look at cost benefit. If, okay, Biden allegedly gets five million from Ukraine. What are we doing in Ukraine? We're giving them tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars in aid. Now, it may be justified, but it's truly extraordinary. Why this intense interest in Ukraine? Then you get money from China, and look at what's going on with China. We've got balloons flying over. We've got spy stations being created in Cuba. We've got all manner of things going on, and the administration effectively looks the other way. Heck, we even got Millie saying, hey, you know, we're going to warn you when we're going to fire, fire missiles. This is a, I think, the scales have to come off the eyes. This is not a conspiracy theory. We have got clear evidence here, and simply because media, and frankly, 90% of the establishment, which is controlled by the left, refuses to talk about it, tries to spin things like crazy, doesn't mean we don't have a, an existential crisis. I'm not, I, I'm not given to hyperbole, but this is the republic in the balance right now. If there was any kind of... Um... <clears throat> Uh, consistency in justice, the way it's applied in this country. If we had a single-tiered system of justice where everybody was treated equally, Joe Biden would be facing not only impeachment over the uh, the classified document scandal, the one that, to me, in, as far as I can tell, is far worse than the Trump one. He's got documents at the Penn Biden Center. He's got documents at his home. He's got documents in his office. He's got documents in um, a museum. He's got documents everywhere. Uh, he's got them in his garage. And he's got that to deal with. If Trump has to deal with it, as you pointed out, then so should Biden. And then you've got this, which is far worse this accepting of bribes, but none of it is even touching the news cycle unless you're turning yeah. on Newsmax or Fox News still sometimes or, or what have you. And, and that is that is astounding that, that that's where we are. Uh, Pete, we could talk about the injustice of the quote-unquote justice system in this country and the Department of Justice for hours more, but in the few minutes that we have left, I want to touch on the Supreme Court because we are in Supreme Court season, if you will, and there's a, an important ruling that's going to be coming soon about affirmative action, one that you are very familiar with because you contributed uh, an important document to this. Can you tell us more about that? Well, yeah, uh, everybody's waiting with bated breath in a, in a certain segment of the civil rights community, the conservative civil rights community, and frankly, conservatives everywhere, because we've got SSF, SFFA, which stands for Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard. Uh, a number of us have been involved in this fight for, frankly, decades. Um, you know, we've, we've been in the trenches for a long time, and particularly Ed Bloom, who has been financing many of these uh, pieces of litigation. But this attacks, attacks, it addresses both Harvard and the University of North Carolina's affirmative action policies. And I don't want to get deep in the woods as to why you've got two different universities, state and private universities, but nonetheless, their affirmative actions policies, as we've discussed on this show numerous times to your credit, Bob, are 
frankly, and there's no way you can say these don't violate the 14th Amendment or violate equal protection uh, in any respect whatsoever. They do. There's no doubt about that. But the, the Supreme Court over the years has kind of come up with this jury-rigged exceptions to equal protection under the law. Okay, And those exceptions haven't worked. Uh, we've had affirmative action now for going on 50 years, and the ostensible reason for it was, well, you know, blacks and other minorities weren't uh, necessarily, be, because of, you know, history and all kinds of other things, um, it, it weren't necessarily having the, the um, qualifications to get into certain schools as others did. So we needed some affirmative action to get a larger percentage of blacks and other minorities into colleges and, and other places. Um, and the Supreme Court has, in various iterations, blessed doing that, although it's been carving away from such blessing over the last number of years. The last time they did it, of course, was Grutter versus Bollinger 20 years ago. And here we are again. We're revisiting again, and everyone expects the, the Supreme Court is probably not going to overturn the use of racial preferences, because that would be too much of a dislocation, but they're probably going to carve away. But here's the point again. I, I got off, off track for a second. 50 years of affirmative action, the ostensible purpose of which is to provide minorities, the ability to get into institutions of higher learning until such time, you know, after a while, the, the belief was, well, minorities were going to be able to do this without any kind of affirmative action. But 50 years later, only one, 50 years ago, 1% of blacks in high school could have gotten into a uh, Harvard or a Yale or a place like that without affirmative action. 50 years later, what's the percentage? 1%. Affirmative action has not done what was designed to do whatsoever. It's a failure on its own merits. But more importantly, it has caused division. It has reduced or has eliminated a meritocracy. It's anti-American. Rather than doing the heavy lifting, because it's a lot heavier and it's a lot more judgmental to go in and say, look, we have got problems K through 12. We've got problems in terms of family structure. We've got problems in terms of the manner in which we address these things on a wholesale level, both culturally, economically, educationally, and politically. Rather than do that heavy lifting, we just decided to give, put a little thumb on the scale and get people in without addressing those underlying issues. And it has been a resounding failure, and it's hurt a lot of people. And let's face it, if you have, a number of us have been in these situations before where we have thought, boy, it'd be great. When I, I remember when I was um, in high school, I ran against Eric Pennock, who won the 100, 220, and 440 in the States. He was the fastest guy in the state, went on to play at Notre Dame, All-American running back. And I used to fantasize when I'd have to run against him saying, boy, wouldn't it be great if I could get out of the blocks like, like two-tenths of a second faster for whatever reason? And that's what we're doing here. We're trying to give people an advantage that doesn't work on its own merits. It fails wholesale, and Americans are tired of it. And I think the Supreme Court understands that. I think the Supreme Court, nonetheless, however, given that this is a Roberts course, and by the way, John Roberts is the one who, in parents involved versus Seattle School District, is the guy who said the best way to just grab <laughs> to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. I hope he heeds his own language from parents involved, but I doubt that that's going to happen, especially after they saw the blowback from Dobbs. No matter what, you'd think, uh, you would hope a cloistered Supreme Court would apply the law in a neutral fashion, but they're human beings. These guys were targeted for assassination, and the uh, Justice Department did nothing about it, nothing whatsoever. They're subject to pressures, and, you know, I think, and, and you know, look, I think that the Roberts of the world, even may, maybe I disagree with certain aspects of his jurisprudence. I testified on his behalf 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, 
uh, for the Supreme Court nomination. I think these are people who, uh, for lack of a better term, have a soft heart and a soft head in some respects and don't want to take, you know, the kind of action, like just pulling the bandage off. The, it's you got to do it. At one point, you're going to have to do it. How many times are we going to keep kicking the can down the road? We're helping no one, and we're sowing racial and class divisions by perpetuating this despicable regime. Well, the answer is interminably, forever, perpetua. I mean, literally, they're going to kick it down further and further and further because they have. it's been proven that they can. Uh, eventually, I agree with you, they should do something and they should make actually a, you know, a firm stand and get rid of all of this, but they're going to continue to do this. And you're right, they, consequences be damned. It helps no one. It helps people who are not, it does not help people who are um, held out of positions because they aren't the right color and because they don't get the extra points. And it certainly doesn't help those who are not qualified to be there in the first place because all it does is, like you say, it, you know, it, it's a recipe for, fa- for failure for them as well. So it's just ridiculous. Um, Pete, uh, we're out of time. I wish we weren't because there's so much more we could get into, including, you know, you mentioned racing against your uh, former uh, uh, classmate and uh, Notre Dame running back. Uh, did you see the, uh, the the bike race in North Carolina over the weekend? Did you see what happened there? Well, I mean, that, was, that was really fair, Bob, and I don't know why you even raised that. You know, I mean, son of a gun. I, I don't know why it is that women keep protesting that they've got to bike against men. Uh, you know, this is we're, we're much more advanced as a society these days. There's no differences between men and women whatsoever. This is an entirely conservative construct, and so I say let's let, let's have at it. You know, I'm, I'm in fact I think I'm a at at my age, an old old and decrepit as I am, I could probably still place in the Olympics if I ran in the female 100 meters. I believe that, and that's exactly the point. For those who don't know what we're talking about, a 27-year-old man named Austin Killips raced against the the women in a women's event, a women's cycling event in North Carolina, 131-mile race. He won the race by more than five minutes. That means he was on his second Bud Light by the time the second-place finisher even crossed the finish line. (laughs) That's just impossible. Yes. My Harley identifies as a bicycle, so I'm going to enter the next race with my motorcycle. I'm, I'm, I'll be there to cheer you on, my friend. Peter Kersenow, excellent, as always. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. See you later, Bob. Thanks. 10.53, time out. And now, it's your turn. We've covered as much of this as we can, top to bottom, but there's still plenty more. Uh, I welcome you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Stay here on Always Right Radio. Okay, 1057. <clears throat> appreciate you being with us. Uh, always appreciate Peter Kersenow as well. We had an interview earlier on this morning with a gentleman named Chris Barrett, who represents Gays Against Groomers. We had a lot of really important stuff we covered there here in the month of groom. And uh, I welcome your thoughts on any of it and all of it. Uh, the next hour is going to be completely guest-free, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We are going to address, though... <clears throat> The question of uh, exactly how badly sell, uh, Joe Biden did sell out the United States. James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, wrote an op-ed. In addition to conducting an interview, I played you a clip of the interview with Larry Kudlow, but he wrote an op-ed to give you more details on Joe Biden's egregious sale of influence from his office as vice president to Burisma executives in Ukraine. 
and the fact that they were paid millions of dollars, they being Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, who facilitated the whole thing, apparently, and other members of the Biden family. The FBI, FD-1023 form, that was agency-generated, um, verifies much of what has been alleged. And now James Comer is so confident that they've got all the receipts that they need that he's going public with this. He's going public with the specific um, uh, four elements, if you will, that the Democrats have disputed with respect to the Biden bribery story, the Biden crime family's bribery story, including peddling uh, conspiracy theories about the FD-1023 record, uh, including uh, allegations that the documents are the same documents Rudy Giuliani provided in January 2020, trying to discredit that, not true, including that the uh, FD-1023 was generated in uh, 2020 based on other FBI records, simply not. And then last and but not least, the allegations on the record are not closed. This is an open investigation. It continues to be an open investigation. In other words, to put all of that in summary, Joe Biden is as dirty as the day is long, and his attempt to throw Donald Trump in prison is is in part to cover up his own guilty his own guilt I should say in these crimes nobody's talking about it James Comer might as well have uh, you know uh, put a, put a sign on his door nobody's going to see it everybody's focused on orange man bad and his arraignment today and nobody is talking about Joe Biden I am going to talk more about Joe Biden cuz that's what's right here We'll talk about that next hour. Always right radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed. Hour number three underway now, 11 minutes after 11 o'clock. Thanks to Pete or cursing out. If you missed that conversation, hear it after the show about an hour. After the show at uh, whkradio.com on the podcast page, I talked with uh, the representative of Gays Against Groomers in hour number one today. If you missed that conversation, same thing, whkradio.com. Hey, don't forget, tomorrow night, 6.30 p.m. start time, uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be with the uh, Strongsville GOP. I'll be giving a speech as part of the Flag Day uh, commemoration. And uh, you better believe we're going to be talking about flags. 
not just the one that we should be talking about, but the ones that we shouldn't be flying, the ones that continue to fly at the White House, the ones that continue to fly for 30 entire days, as if we should be uh, saluting and worshiping that flag. We're going to be talking about that, among other things. So I'm uh, speaking live tomorrow night at the Flag Day event, 630 at the Harvest Saloon in Strongsville. If you'd like to come out and say hello, I'd love to meet you. If I've already met you, I'd love to talk with you. I certainly enjoy the opportunity to catch up with people on a personal basis. So uh, please join us tomorrow at 630 uh, in uh, Strongsville at the Harvest Saloon. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to have a lot of very important things to say that I hope will be of value to you. Now, I want you to hear something that I think is valuable here. I'm going to talk about Joe Biden. I said this to Pete at the end. And I'm going to talk about Joe Biden because they don't want you to. As much of the goal of getting Donald Trump is to get Donald Trump because they hate him so much. The other goal is to take the attention off of the Biden crime family's uh, numerous um, misdeeds. And it's all starting to come apart for them. It's just that the media can't let you know that. They can't let you know that. That's why uh, this morning... There was a massive row of media tents outside the Miami courthouse where Donald Trump is going to be arraigned today. The media is focused on Donald Trump's arraignment, the indictment of a former president, the indictment of the uh, leader of the opposition party, the leading candidate in the polls to be the Republican nominee is being indicted. And what if he's a convicted felon? Can he serve as president if he's a convicted felon? Would you, Americans, be so shameful that you would vote for him for president if he is convicted of felonies? This is what they're doing to create all of the distraction off of Joe Biden and Joe Biden's myriad of crimes that he and his family have been alleged to have been a part of while he was vice president and members of the Biden family got rich. The problem, and that's okay, get rich. Members of the Trump family are rich too. But what did they get rich doing? What business do they have? They don't make products or sell services. What businesses do they have that would warrant millions of dollars finding their way through multiple shell companies to arrive into the bank accounts of multiple Bidens? They don't want us talking about this, and that's why I'm going to talk about this. It is extraordinarily important. Congressman Byron Donalds went on Newsmax last night with Eric Bowling. And he laid a lot of this out, too. Let's listen. You guys got eyeballs on that document. Now we hear there may be two or three. You got eyeballs on these documents that may tie uh, a Biden, if not be Biden, the big guy. The same day, there's an indictment that, that's handed down. Congressman, any coincidence in your mind? Uh, no, not in my mind. I've uh, been around this town long enough to see <clears throat> that what that the number one thing everybody wants to try to do is control the news cycle, control the narrative. So, no, it's not a shock to me at all that, that something like this could occur, because having read that FBI document, it is damning. As much as people want to say, oh, this indictment might is it might be serious. Uh, let me tell you, this FBI report is a damning report. First of all, They had us go to a secure facility where we read classified information to read an unclassified document. If there was stop right there, you could you you can surmise so much from that particular line. 
They made us go to a classified, secured facility where we read classified information to read a document that is not classified. Why? Because it is so damning to the sitting president of the United States, they have to treat it as if it's top secret. But it's not classified top secret because there is not information that is that is potentially damaging to the United States of America, just its president. That's why this is not classified, and yet they make them treat it as if it is. This should be released and should be published on the front page of every newspaper in America. But they're hiding it as if it's classified when it's not. That should tell you so much. Apologies for the interruption. Congressman Byron Donalds. Information to read an unclassified document. If there was nothing to see here, why would FBI go to such lengths? Then you actually read the document. And when you read the document, one thing that becomes crystal clear is that the people at Burisma knowingly paid $5 million to Hunter, $5 million to Joe Biden, so that Joe Biden would use the power of his office as vice president to pressure Ukraine to fire the prosecutor who was looking into Burisma. That is very specific. This isn't a generalized, yeah, I heard Joe Biden took bribes. This is very specific. Amounts of dollars, names of recipients, purposes thereof. Tie that to what James Comer was saying, and tie that to what James Comer wrote in his op-ed. I saw it on the Fox News page. I hope every other uh, uh, news outlet in America picks this up and runs this as well so that you can understand. That money didn't get to Biden directly from Burisma to Joe Biden in his bank account. It had to pass through several several other places. We can trace bribery. It sure does. But look what we've already found, Larry. Uh, the Biden family has at least 20 shell companies that were created for the sole purpose to launder money to at least nine Biden family members. When you create a bunch of shell companies for the sole purpose of laundering money, that's called racketeering. And the and the. The money laundering, the, those aren't my words. Those are the words of at least six big publicly traded banks that filed bank violations against the Biden family. They said it sure appears that they're money laundering. So these are some serious crimes that we've already uncovered, uh, but there's still many more banks to go uh, and, and many more shell companies that I think that we'll, we'll discover along the way. This is astounding. It's astounding. It's devastating, which is why you're not allowed to hear it. That's why we're not allowed to talk about it, which is why. Why aren't you focused on Miami? We're indicting Trump. Donald Trump is facing indictment and potentially being booted from the uh, 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 from the primaries, potentially being put in prison for the rest of his life. Why are you talking about Joe Biden? This is about Trump, 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 Trump. This is why they did it. And this is what makes it so egregious. And if you don't think that this originated with Joe Biden himself in order to take the pressure off of him, and his family during this primary season now, during this election cycle at the very least now, then you're not paying attention. Biden controls the DOJ. Merrick Garland controls uh, the DOJ. Biden controls the attorney general. The attorney general appoints the, uh, the special counsel, Jack Smith, and Jack Smith does what he's told. Get Trump. That's why Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a Republican candidate for president, has filed a FOIA request demanding access to White House 
and Garland communications over the Trump indictment. He wants to try to find the receipts to prove that this was ordered by Joe Biden for political reasons. This is an affront to every American. To me, this isn't even about Donald Trump. This is about the future of equal justice in America. What we have right now are two tiers of justice. One for Biden, one for Trump. One for Julian Assange, who sits in a prison in foreign exile, while Chelsea Manning, the trans person who gave those same documents to Julian Assange, has now had her sentence commuted by President Obama because she's trans. One for Antifa, another for those protesters on January 6th who were peaceful. We can't continue to have these two tiers of justice that vary depending on your political beliefs in this country. He's exactly right. But that is exactly what we have. It is a two-tiered system of justice. The politically protected and then the rest of us. 216-901-0945. Let's go to Todd who's in Cleveland. Todd, you're on AM 1420. The answer, fire away. Yo, Bob. Yo, Todd. So, I, that's the first time I ever heard Peter not be serious, but sounding serious. I pay attention to Peter when he talks, but when that dude said even at his age he can make the finals of the women's Olympic 100-meter dash, I thought to myself, why didn't Bob cut that dude off, man? He's having an episode. Come you, on, man. You, have, you ever, have you ever met Peter? I know who Peter is, and, and I don't Peter, doubt that Peter. I don't Peter, doubt that Peter got some serious has some serious speed in his day. I don't doubt that. Not he, just in his day. I mean, the dude is 69, mm-hmm. and he trains like a like a you know like a biathlete he runs every morning not just jogs like you know like an old man might jog or something like that he runs hill sprints he still squats and deadlifts in the 400s i mean it's crazy the shape that that guy is in he is like a he's like out of a test tube or something man he is a phenomenal conditioned guy at his age he still trains like a competitive athlete i believe and he might be wrong but i believe that he believes if he raced against a bunch of women at an olympic trial that he could actually get get into that field and do well I've seen Peter in person. I haven't seen him in person in about seven years, but I've seen him in person. Yeah. I can tell you this. The great Willie Galt, and I know you know who Willie Galt is. Love Willie Galt. In his 50s, in his 50s, seriously trained to see what he could do with the 100-meter dash, and Willie only got down to 10-8. The last place finisher in the Olympics was 11.1 for the women. I was like, come on, Peter, man. Now, now if he had said... He could get he could get into the finals of the girls' high school championship in Cleveland. <laughs> I wouldn't even shrug at that. Okay, you know? All right. come on, man, come okay. on, man. <laughs> so so that's, hold on, just just to be clear though, just to be clear, Willie Galt at fifty um, uh, raced or, or, or did it? Was it an actual race or did he just got timed? He timed himself by himself. No, like, it was actual. He got into a, a actual race that was electronically. Um, Tagged and Willie only got down to ten eight and he was and in fifty. But he beat, but he beat um, the women because uh, you said some of the women. He, were was, he was running against men. Oh, oh, running, oh, oh so saying, you were then just comparing be, what? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Willie was on. Willie was only be able to train himself down to a ten eight in his fifties. Got it. So I'm like, come on, man. Ain't no, okay, ain't no 69-year-old dude about to train down to 11-1. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I was, I was like ashamed of you, Bob. I was like, he's having an episode. Cut him off, Bob. No, because you know what? Because I know the point he was trying to make. The point he was trying to make doing. is the right one, and that is that, for example, Willie Gold is still faster than almost any woman in the world. Almost. Uh, you most know, men. 
Yeah, most men, right? And and if but but it's it's the woman part of this, of course, because it's part of the transgender story. And this uh, this this race in North Carolina, 131 mile Belgian waffle ride, they called it. And this dude who says he's a, a woman, his name is Austin. He didn't even change his name to a female sounding name. Austin Killips, a 27 year old guy, raced against the women and won five thousand dollars, winning first place by five minutes. That's why when I kind of joked and said he was on his second Bud Light by the time the next finisher came across the line, it was true. Five minutes later, he's just cruising. He's cooled down. He's not even sweating anymore. And the next person is crossing through. And we're supposed to take that seriously? Oh, by the way, he also profited $5,000 from that that would have gone to whoever that woman was who crossed the line second. Um, you know, it's just so absurd what they're doing. The idea that men should be allowed to compete in women's sports. And that's, that's why Pete used maybe a little bit of over the top hyperbole to do it. Yeah, and, I know. and that's why I wasn't going to step on it either. <laughs> I know. But you and I have talked about this before. We need to stop using the term. I'm saying this. You haven't fully agreed with it yet. The term should be gender masker. You shouldn't be using the term transgender. And if we accept the term gender masker, then all of this will go away because they would still have to be where they're supposed to be with the gender that they are, not the gender that they mask themselves to be. Yeah. And a lot of this will go. A lot of this will go away. But it won't. But it'll, it'll never go away. It'll never go away because whatever title you put. And I agree with your point. You make a good point and you're a good argument about why you should, we should use that that phrasing. But their belief is that transgender women are real women, not mask wearers. That they're real, and we're supposed to say that. That if they really truly believe in their heart and in their heads and in their minds that their bodies are just wrong and that they're women, then we accept that as such. And the term masker will never go for that because obviously it tells the truth. Science, science is irrefutable in this particular matter right here. It should but, be. Um, all right, I, I ain't gonna rag on Pete no more. But I just, <laughs> that just got me. That just chuckled after that. No, I got all. you, brother. I got you. Thanks all for right, the man. call, Todd. I appreciate it. Yeah, and let's uh, let's you know let's never. For, and by the way, Pete, like I said, was making a point. And I do know how much he trains, how hard he trains, and the idea uh, that he could race against. Certain women, even at the age of as a sixty-nine-year-old man, and win maybe not the Olympics, but but high-performing female athletes, uh, it it, doesn't, it would not shock me. It would not shock me because I know Pete, uh, and I also know the reality of science and what sports shows between men and women, uh, and that's just the reality. Okay, uh, we'll take a time out here. Don't forget, by the way, ain't but two genders, two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. That, of course, clarifies things for all of us. We'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. So I was just uh, looking at a little twitter feud which is kind of funny sometimes and uh it's eleven thirty-six, by the way this trump indictment today over the classified documents nonsense and it is nonsense um was brought back up of course you know the hillary situation when she had uh, over thirty thousand emails many of them marked classified uh on her server and she of course hid the evidence so that she couldn't be uh, prosecuted by bleach bidding her server. Bleach bit being a, uh, a software tool that essentially wipes your server clean where it's unretrievable, even by the best forensic uh, digital experts. And then when it came to her cell phones, which might have contained more damning information, 
she smashed them with hammers, or she had them smashed for her uh, by people. Well, Representative Nancy Mace tweeted about this yesterday. Hillary Clinton used a hammer to destroy evidence of a private email server and classified information on that server and was never indicted. The same standard should apply to everyone, including Donald Trump, she wrote. Well, Keith Olbermann, which you may or may not remember as the lunatic leftist who's been fired from about nine different jobs in the last nine different years, used to be an ESPN a sports anchor, then he did his own, I don't even know, left-wing television programs and podcast programs and radio things, and he just kept getting fired because he's so radically out of control. And he actually tweeted at uh, Nancy Mace uh, that this was uh, that this never happened. Quote, you know that didn't happen, right? Are you okay? You seem to have been hallucinating a lot lately. It's like, wait, what? Is he actually going to try to rewrite this history when we know this? And Nancy Mace responded, fact, a hammer was used to destroy government devices, and Hillary Clinton's server was wiped out with a program called Bleach Bit, all fact-checked by CNN. Maybe your weed is stale. Who's hallucinating now? And she sent this link of a CNN interview in which a CNN host tried to advance the lie even further until she called for a fact check and got fact checked. And this is just funny sometimes. Let's hear it. President, they destroyed blackberries with hammers in the State Department. That's not what won the president. Actually, Evan, 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 hold on. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Evan Perez. Hammers, fact check that for me, please, on the fly. Uh, yes, they did, Brooke. Uh, as as, uh, <laughs> as did. you mentioned, there were uh, 13 devices. You got, I wish you could see her face. I wish you could see her face uh, on CNN as uh, the person she called in to fact check that, fact check that. That never happened. Fact check that. And the fact checker says, yeah, it did. You should see the look of embarrassment and shame on her face like, oh, my gosh. There's mobile devices and five iPads that uh, the FBI said that, you know, in some way were used with, with her private email server. And they did, in some cases, just destroy them with hammers when they were done using them. She said, That's a she pretty forgot- good way of just. That is absolutely not following the rules and regulations of the State Department. You know it. Your 52 reasons just went down to one. That is exactly not following the rules of the State Department. Of course, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton uh, was never given the, the option of declassifying documents because she was never the president. Much to her chagrin, she tried to be president, but she couldn't be Donald Trump. She never had a right to have those things, much less unsecured. And then to cover her tracks, she destroyed them. How could any Justice Department have not brought charges against her? And now some have asked that question, well, wasn't Trump the president then? The answer is yes. And President Trump did not instruct his Department of Justice. The Attorney General, Bill Barr, never told him to go get Hillary and jail her. Never told him to go get Hillary because we now know what she did and prosecute her. President Trump felt like it was probably just a bridge too far. She's been defeated. She can no longer cause trouble. She can no longer do damage. Let it be. And now, when the left has the opportunity to say the same thing, President Trump has classified documents that he did have the authority to declassify as president, but he's got documents that he shouldn't have, and we, and we need to negotiate this through and get them back through you know, proper channels, not through indicting him and trying to throw him in prison. That's the difference between them and us. The question becomes whether or not that should be the difference. Maybe we should start being just as vindictive. Maybe. 
If they're going to go ahead and use selective prosecution against us, perhaps we ought to use consistent prosecution and start bringing them in. Jo- Joanne in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. Go right ahead. Actually, that's kind of what I wanted to say. You know, maybe, you know, maybe that's what Grassley's doing by coming out on the Senate floor and talking about 17 audio tapes, two of with Joe and 15 with Hunter, talking to the Ukrainian guy who's holding him under his vest because he's afraid. I mean, these people are so corrupt, it's ridiculous. They are. They are every bit of that. I mean, it's insane. I mean, and also, Bob, I didn't catch the very beginning of the show. Did you have anything to say about the pride flag planted <laughs> by American flags yeah, at the yeah, White House? Makes yeah, me they sick. did. Completely, complete violation of flag protocol. It's going to be part yeah. of what I talk about tomorrow night at Strongsville on Flag Day. Uh, not not, not uh, coincidentally. Uh, to my knowledge, they have not fixed it. Uh, I uh, have, would have to double check on that because yesterday yeah, was when they, they had their ceremonies and they had all those freaks out there running around yeah. showing their surgically attached breasts and all these other things. I mean, you're did. violating U.S. flag code for crying yeah. out loud. Yeah, I mean, and they're not even smart enough at the White House to do that. I well, I don't get well, it. Well, they don't they don't respect that flag. They respect the no, multicolored flag. They don't no, care about I that. I mean, they, you know, I mean, and you know, all of this is you know, they don't want to recognize the fact that Donald Trump was president. I mean, it's yeah. all what it comes down to, Bob. They want to say, you know, they took his security clearances away as soon as Biden was inaugurated. They don't want to even acknowledge the fact that he was president. Therefore, he has no rights as president. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, as it pertains, and thank you, Joanne, for the call. As it pertains to the flag situation, I mean, let's just be honest. What do I say every morning when we do our pledge? Every morning I say, uh, those who uh, are willing stand and, and pledge your allegiance to this flag, and then I challenge those who, who are, you know, more, uh, less respectful of this country that, you know, if you don't believe in the principles for which that flag stands, then go ahead and take a knee instead. Well, that's what we saw with that violation of the flag protocol at the White House. Uh, flag protocol says that the U.S. flag must fly higher than any other flag, number one. And number two, it must be the center of any other grouping of flags where other flags from other nations or other uh, institutions or what have you are, are displayed. It must be the centerpiece. Because, of course, all, all honor and glory should go to the country. To the, well, all glory and honor to God, but you understand my point that our country should take precedence. That's why it's featured that way. So my point to that is, when I ask you in the mornings when we do our pledge, that you know, if you don't believe in the principles for which that flag stands, you don't have to pledge your allegiance to it. You can go ahead and take a knee instead, like the old unemployed quarterback. Well, Joe Biden has essentially made that very, very clear. He doesn't stand for the principles that that flag represents. And so therefore... This was this was kind of like taking the knee. The the gay pride flag or the multi LGBTQ colored pride flag was the centerpiece and the US flag was off to the side on either side. Um it's evidence that it, it like I say during the pledge he doesn't have respect for it. He doesn't have reverence for it. He doesn't believe in the nation that country represents. And his actions every single day, I'm sorry, in the nation that that flag represents. And his actions every single day bear that out. So that's why it's that way. Joanne, thank you for the call. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to my team. And thanks to you for listening. We're back tomorrow. Be well, be safe, stay free. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.